When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Patsy Deference is brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. Okay, we are making history today on the Pat's Interference Podcast, which, of course, brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS Media Network. We not only have Phil Perry on, not during draft time. We are going live for the folks on YouTube who can drop questions into us about Patriots training camp. We are 10 days uh, soon to be nine practices in, and as fate had it earlier this week, we recorded before the most consequential practice of training camp so far. Second pad, talked about none of that with Ted Johnson, just talked about a lot of stuff that had a very short shelf life. Phil, I don't think we're going to have the same bad luck today because it's in stadium, it's always special teams, and it's the sixth practice in a row. Like, they can't go too hard tonight, right? We're going to be okay? We're going to be just fine, and you're right. We're, we're going to make history. I feel like every time we get together, Andrew, we're making history, whether we're live or not. So this is just more of the same from you and me. Yeah, just like doing uh, Toucher and Rich the other morning when I really put you on the spot walking through the parking lot, and they were discussing you know, walking with a colleague through the hallway, and you both arrive at the bathroom at the same time and have to go number two. How do you handle that? And I just took the question and passed the ball. And, uh, you know, you dribbled for a second, but gave it back and we handled it okay. Definitely a first for Toucher and Rich, which I feel like probably don't have many firsts left in them. Anyway, uh, we're going to run down the rookies today because, you know, I think all the big storylines are very well known at this point. Bill O'Brien in the offense, certain emerging players on defense, uh, special teams, you know, here and there. But the rookies overall are doing so well in camp. So we're going to go down a bunch of big names. But first, zooming way, way, way out. Phil, you have 30 seconds to describe this camp to someone who has not seen a tweet, read an article, listened to a podcast, and you have to capture everything we've seen so far. What does that 30 seconds sound like? Go. I would start on the offensive side of the ball, and I would say things are vastly improved there from the product that you saw in 2022. And I would say you're getting closer and closer every day to 2021, and maybe you're even building upon that. Mac Jones has the reins at the line of scrimmage. He's using his brain at the line of scrimmage. Uh, This team seems to be on the same page and they're playing, I won't say entirely mistake free, but something close to that, which is progress for them. And then defensively, I would say it looks like it looks like they're going to be an aggressive, versatile bunch. But I will also say that they have had a lot of their pass rushing success sort of handed to them on a silver platter because the offensive line, Andrew, is a problem. So on yeah, the good, yeah. you've got some organization, you've got some aggressive defenders that look pretty disruptive to the bad, the offensive line. Yeah, we were uh, we were joking around the other day about weight put on or around where we're at, you know, this summer. And I think we might get a call soon from Moses Cabrera saying, no, guys, put on a little bit more. Come play right guard. We need the bodies at this point because it's just so thin. And those things come and go, right? Like I, I've heard that Trent Brown's Injury is real. It's minor. But that's a guy you just want to really keep in bubble wrap until week one because he's your only starting caliber tackle. But we're not here for all that just yet. There are rookies in the offensive line we'll get to. The number one rookie, I think, on everyone's mind, and I called him earlier in camp kind of a bellwether for this defense because if he plays to what we expect his potential to be, and he's a rookie, we don't really know. 
But if Christian Gonzalez is starting caliber cornerback from week one, there's no weak spot on this defense. We have, however, now seen, I would describe as two of his weaker practices in pads, more competitive. What do you make of that? He allowed four or five catches yesterday before then beat for a touchdown. Ross Douglas, the receivers coach, just called his battles with Devontae Parker to heavyweights. I don't know how well that's going to go over upstairs. Bill Belichick, what is, what is Ali? Are we, are we seriously doing this right now? Uh, it's a terrible Belichick. But anyway, Christian Gonzalez, what do you, what do you make of him so far? Yeah, I wrote about him yesterday in our Stockwatch piece, and I said if I was describing Christian Gonzalez, the coverage player, his stock would be down because he's getting outfought for some of these 50-50 balls. Kendrick Bourne has shaken him on a couple of different occasions and created some real separation there. So he's not what he was through the early portion of camp when I thought he was really, really good in the red zone work where they were doing everything inside the red zone. And so you know, you have that benefit there as a defender. The space is condensed. You don't have to cover as much ground. And I thought he was excellent because not only was he in the right place at the right time, but he was getting his hands on the football occasionally as well. That has sort of trended in the opposite direction, to your point, these last couple of days. However, I had him in my stock up category in my latest stock watch piece because I think what's maybe even more important because I'm not, he's going to get it eventually when it comes to coverage that's my opinion i think he's too athletic he's too long like that's going to come the stuff that i was concerned about and i think it's the reason why he fell to 17 overall in the first place was the physicality and so the reason i had him as a stock up player was because we saw him make a hit yesterday in full in full pads and the defense went wild it was right in front of the defensive sideline we also saw what would have been a tackle for a loss on a little swing pass to Juju Smith-Schuster, he saw it immediately, click, close. Again, had it been tackled to the ground, that kind of situation, that would have been a big hit from Christian Gonzalez. So I like what I'm seeing from the more, I think, questionable aspect of his game, which to me is a good sign right now. I completely agree. You know, you're going to give up catches in training camp, especially to guys like Juju and Devontae Parker and Kendrick Bourne over time, who finally, thank God, got off the milk carton out of witness protection and Kendrick Bourne had five catches yesterday. And I expect more of that than the one through six or seven practices or whatever it is moving forward. The the blow up of Raleigh Webb on that bubble screen was met with, I think, probably the loudest cheer of training camp anywhere. And I think it speaks to the weakness you're talking about. But just <clears throat> on the defensive side, the trust in him, right? Like we can trust you to cover, but can you make that tackle? Because that's the number one thing. I remember doing a story five, six years ago, uh, asking then Josh Boyer, the cornerbacks coach for the Patriots. I was like, what are your, if you're playing corner for the Patriots, what do you need to do? And the first thing he said was tackle. All right. And like, it, it helps to, you know, play man to man coverage. I think that's probably above it. It's like the old, what's the best ability. It's availability. No, it's not. It's being incredibly fast, physical and being able to play football in this realm. But for corners, you need him at a certain threshold. If he does that, again, he'll be able to do all of the other things we expect him to do moving forward. And I also like that he struggled before the first preseason game. You know, confidence for a newly minted 21-year-old can be kind of fragile, especially coming up to the NFL. So some struggles in practice, that's what that's for. I, I don't mind the last couple of days whatsoever. I don't either. And, and again, I think his physical skill set eventually will shine through. But, but these are important growing pains for him to go through because – you know, really, those were the two concerns that I'd heard on draft night, you know, before they even drafted him. I'm, I'm asking people, you know, why is he why is he fallen? Uh, and you do hear the concerns about tackling and it was a willingness to tackle. It wasn't just that he, you know, he wasn't technically sound when it came to the physicality part of the game. It was teams wondered how willing he would be to be 
and, and bring the kind of physicality that you need to bring to have some success at the NFL level. The other thing was his mentality. You know, he's not a Ty Law or a Darrell Revis or even a Stephon Gilmore. And I think people sometimes confuse what Gilmore was from a personality standpoint because he was so soft-spoken. The volume totally. of his voice totally. was so flatlined and so quiet that sometimes you would miss the absolutely ludicrous and overly confident things that would come out of his mouth on a weekly basis. He was the, he was one of the best sound bites in that Patriots locker room because of the content of his message. These guys were, were alphas were supremely confident every single time they took. Can we, can we stay with Steph though for a second? Yeah. Because I really think you're right. People don't know about the things that he would say under his breath after holding Robbie Anderson, like in handcuffs for another game. And it would just be, yeah, he's he's little. Like it's it's not that hard. Like, what, what was your favorite soundbite from him talking about another receiver? This is around 2018, 2019. Yeah, there's so many good ones. I mean, the the what always struck me were the really talented receivers that you'd ask him about, and he would say, "He's okay." <laughs> you know, like Amari Cooper. You know, poor yeah. guy. Amari Cooper just had himself a hell of a time here with the Cowboys in the rain. Gilmore shut him out. I don't know if he'd ever been shut out to that point in his career. Yeah, this guy's like one of the most efficient route runners in the game. And Gilmore posted a goose egg. And it's just, you know, it's it's not that hard. I mean, yeah. like that's the kind of stuff you would hear from Stephon Gilmore. It was amazing. And uh, I think Antonio Brown, he knocked his, his route running after they lost to the Steelers 17-14 late in that 18-year but he held Antonio to like 55 yards or something. And it was like, hey, he's quick, but like his routes are his routes aren't that good. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> uh, the opposite of JC Jackson, it was just like got bigger physically every time, you know, he grew more confident in the locker room. And it was knocking down New, New England Patriot Juju Smith Schuster 2019 opener. You think he's that good? Really? One of the best receivers in the league. Huh? Yeah, we'll see about that. Um, <laughs> anyway, Christian Gonzalez not showing that. I, I don't worry so much about the mentality, but you're right, because he's someone who I think, even we spoke to him the other day getting more comfortable with the media. He had a smile on sending cliche after cliche after cliche in our direction, just blanketing us in the way he does in coverage with those receivers. Uh, The more he gets comfortable in any kind of work setting, the better he'll be. He also has three pass breakups, by the way, as far as I've charted in team drill, second most on the team. So you want to know how a guy's doing? There you go. Uh, Keon White flew under the radar the first week as a lot of linemen did. Obviously second round rookie out of Georgia Tech, 290 pounds, six foot five, can play across the defensive line. The pads come on, and whoa. I didn't realize until adding up all these stats before we came on. His five sacks, and the, the, these are tough to chart. For me, lead the team right now in team drills. Like, And his movement when he's dropping back or tipping passes speak to a much more all-around game than just like this powerful athletic freak that we saw. and was like, okay, he's a workout warrior, but let's see what he does. I think he could have a real role early on. Granted, we obviously still need to see more. Oh, yeah, but I agree with you. I mean, especially with with Judon not participating in these padded practices, you know, he's, he's been out there quite a bit with the top defense and, and sort of in that role, that first and second down role. We know what Josh Uche is at this point. You know, he's he's probably not going to be a guy that plays a ton on early downs for them. Keon White, though, is, is 290 pounds. And, Andrew, it's, it's one of the most impressive 290-ish pound builds I've ever seen. I mean – He's not at all fat. <laughs> the guy is just he's he is a he is a house. Uh and he's giving the their tackles, and we could talk about 
their tackles and what kind of, kind of problems uh, they've presented to their offense. But he's giving Connor McDermott all he can handle. Riley Reef. I mean, they're moving him around a little bit. He's clearly a smart guy. And I thought it was interesting, you know, Bill Belichick earlier in camp, I asked him, you know, do you have to kind of feed these guys piecemeal? You know, the, the ones that you want to be versatile pieces. Do you want to start with one or two things and then move on from there once they show that they can actually do it and they show that they're comfortable? He said, not really. You know, if you want a guy to be versatile, you can't miss time now. If we're going to ask a guy to play inside week one, we can't do it, you know, August 26th. We have to start now because there's a foundation you have to build in all of these roles that we're going to ask these guys to play. So whether it's White or Marte Mapu, who I know we'll talk about, you know, I think there's a, a lot of trust that's been shown in those players to be able to handle a lot. He's done that and he's performed really well. And he looks like a, he looks physically like a vet sometimes with these younger guys, you know, I remember Ch Chandler Jones, when he first got to Patriots training camp in 2012, you could tell he had some real physical gifts, but he also didn't have a lot of muscle on his body. That is certainly not the case with Keon white. I have two favorite things about Keon white. One of which is in talking to Ted Johnson, your friend and mine a couple of days ago on this podcast, I asked him about, were you a little jealous that Keon White got the 30 bench press reps at the combine and you only got the 29 and a half? And his answer was just a flat yes. Like, this is a man who <laughs> stays in playing shape, works at that, even when he was playing, was very heavy up top and just looks at Keon White's arms and goes, you could pop my head if you put it in your arm and just kind of curled and showed a bicep because that's how big Keon White is. The second thing is he jumped up for a pass deflection the other day that was eventually caught in the flat, but led from him to Marte Mapu getting a tackle for loss. And that's an awareness part. Not only just, okay, if I'm not getting the quarterback, get your arm up. It's we're at the six, seven yard line, whatever it was in red zone. Things happen really quickly. Like I either need to get there or I need to make an impact somewhere else. He does that, tips this little swing pass, gets to Pierre Strong, Marte Mapu cleans him up. Um, again, we, we, we need to see more. I think joint practices are going to be really important for everyone, but especially him because I had him earmarked for – all right, he'll be like a pass rush rotational specialist kind of guy, kicks inside and early downs. I still believe that, but I think if and when, you know, who knows about Judon's availability or anybody else gets hurt, um, they should have increasing confidence he can step in there. One person asked, as we have like a, a scrolling uh, questions here in the comments, Carlos wants to know if Keon White and Sam Roberts might make Lawrence Guy expendable. I'm not there yet, and Lawrence Guy, obviously a different body type, well over 300 pounds, interior guy, you know, run-stopping early downs. Do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I'm not sure it would be uh, Keon White. I, I don't see him. I see him more in a, a Dietrich Wise type of role than a Lawrence Guy type of role, yeah. right? So somebody that they can play on the edge, you know, in some of their four-down looks. You can kick him inside in sub-situations if you really want to, but he can also be an outside linebacker and just sort of a jumbo version of an outside linebacker and stand him up in a two point yeah. stance. I mean, it really is wild. I mean, I was scratching my head there and I know he did this at Georgia tech, but we know it's a different level of football. One of the first spring practices that we saw in a, a pretty competitive seven on seven period, you know, they have him out there and they have him dropping into coverage. And this guy's almost 300 pounds. He's not that much lighter than, than Lawrence guy dropping into coverage. So um, I don't think he would make guy expendable. Now maybe Sam Roberts would, if they felt like Sam Roberts, was somebody who was really coming on strong. Uh, I did see, for instance, Cody Russi have a really good one-on-one -on -one rep against Lawrence Guy. And so um, maybe if we see more of that, they say, okay, you know, time is sort of passing Lawrence by here, but I'm I'm not there yet either. I think Lawrence Guy could be pretty important to what they do just from a, from a leadership standpoint, honestly. Like to have him in a room 
that includes Christian Barmore, that includes Keon White, to show these guys how to work, how to develop, help them along, give them the, the tips of the trade uh, that can help them advance their own careers. I, I, there really is value in that. Now, how much how much monetary value is in that? And is he going to get the, the bump in his contract that he wanted uh, this past spring? I, I don't know, but I, I think he's he's still a 53-man player for them. Uh, a couple of things on that, too. Um, I remember, I don't remember who had the screenshot first, but when they do the look inside the draft room, after the first round, it comes up on Patriots.com sometime middle of day two on Friday. And there was a shot of Belichick looking at game film. You zoom in and you saw Georgia Tech, UNC, and everyone's like, oh, Josh Downs, Josh Downs, Josh Downs, slot receiver, this will be great. No, 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 no. This was Keon White on that play covering a wheel route easily 20 yards downfield. Again, 290-pound guy who also I think is a little bit older. Correct me if I'm, I'm wrong. Like he's one of those prospects who you know, transferred from Old Dominion, position change, all that. He's got a grown man's body, but I think a young man's development ahead of him. Anyway, very excited. And uh, last point on Lawrence Guy was funny. Our friend Dakota Randall asked Lawrence last week when he's doing the, oh, I got a big smile on. I'm just here to work. Things are great. I'm totally fine. About Keon. He was like, oh, what have you seen? He's like, it's been three days, man. And that's true. Mm-hmm. But I think it spoke to some ease for Lawrence Guy, who realizes, or maybe it's Josh Uche, that Keon White is here to take someone's job because that's how the Patriots operate. It's draft uh, and replace. Okay. We hit on him earlier. He is, I think, the rookie everyone is most excited about. Marte Mapu could be a linebacker, could be a safety, could be an overhang defender playing over the slot. We'll get to him in a second. But first, I need to remind everybody that as this podcast is brought to you by FanDuel. Okay, on the list of fun things about the Patriots 2023 season, a lot of offense, uh, FanDuel now is on the list. Uh, Marte Mapu. Um, I discussed a lot about what I had seen and what Ted Johnson had seen last episode. He's smart, impressive, real playmaker. What's under discussed about him? Like, what are we missing in the Mapu conversation of this rising third round rookie that everyone loves? And he's got a fun name to go along with it. Okay. So at the risk of being accused of being a wet blanket here, Andrew, what I would say, (laughs) what I would say we're missing is that the Patriots, generally speaking, don't want their linebackers to be 230 pounds. And so until and unless we start to see that consistently with Marte Mapu, I will, I will tap the brakes just ever so gently because he's fun for me to watch too. I mean, how could he not be? He's flying around the field because he is what he is physically. He's bringing some speed to the second level of their defense. He's getting his hands on the football. It looks like he's reading things out really well. It feels like, you know, once or twice a practice, you know, there's a, there's a pass into the flat or there's a pitch to the edge in the run game. And wouldn't you know it, and it's, it's easy to see him out there because he's wearing that red jersey, but that red jersey is flying up the field and tapping whoever has the football sort of on the thigh there as if to tell him, hey, you would have just gotten mashed had I been able, been able to hit you on that play. So he's fun to watch, but his size is what it is. And their preference for a long, long time now has been to have the Juwan Bentleys and the Jelani Tavais of the world out there at the second level a lot. You know, Mac Wilson is probably the closest thing to them having a lighter linebacker um, playing, but he didn't play much last year, Andrew. So that's that's my one concern with him is how much will they at the end of the day, will Bill Belichick, Gerard Mayo, Steve Belichick be willing to have this guy out there? Because do they trust him in the run game? And we know how important that is to them. I think in sub situations, you might see him out there a whole bunch, but we're not talking about a three down player yet, in my opinion. Yeah, it was interesting. I remember talking to Jim Nagy about this being like, how can a player that small in this system 
you know, hold up over 17 games, 18 weeks, and just stopping the run. He's like, well, if you watch him, he plays with requisite force. Like, the impact he's making on these running backs and tight ends is not one you feel from a 230-pound player. It's a 250 to kind of 60 guy. My response was and would be, like, you force goes both ways. You know, like, that wear and tear comes at you, too, from Marte Mapu. And on the point about Mac Wilson, it's really important because I think we all did these stories a year or two or three ago, like, are the Patriots finally converting to these, you know, smaller linebackers, adding more speed, blah, blah, blah. And I think we were slow on the take with that because, you know, they're playing so many box safeties at the second level. I mean, Patrick Chung has been doing that or did that in 2016, 17, 18. But Mac Rowe said on the record, those 250-pound guys just don't exist anymore. That brings me to Mac Wilson, who told us the other day, yeah, I was listed at 230, but I was like 240, 245. So that's an issue then of can Marte Mapu add that weight? And that's been my stance of if he's playing safety, he doesn't really have a path to playing time immediately or maybe the entire season. Like you have four established veterans, say what you will or feel about Jabril Peppers and Jalen Mills. They're just ahead of him. And Phillips and Duggar, absolutely. So if it's not there and it's at linebacker and he doesn't have the weight or can't add the weight, it just, you wonder how many snaps are there. I mean, is that the path you see for him? Because this is all fun and, and well. He's going to have a great preseason and joint practices, et cetera, et cetera. He's got a heel from the torn pec still. Um, but when it comes to the games that matter, where is he fitting? Well, it looks like the way they've used him, and and you tell me if you've seen it any differently, sub-situations, he's out there with the, the early defense at linebacker at the second level. We've seen him at the line of scrimmage a little bit, sort of mugging the A-gap. Um, or just right there, sort of in a traditional linebacker role, and he's he's covered you know running backs, he's covered some tight ends, and then with the second or even third team defense, when when they're out there, that's when we see him back at free safety. Yeah. So it feels like okay, yes, you're you're down the depth chart at safety, but when it comes to these specific situations with our top defense, you could be out there in the two minute drill, you know, with with everybody else that we would assume is going to be out there in that situation. So. I think that's how they that's how they view him right now. I just um, I, I'm also just interested to see, and again, this might take a while because he is still wearing that red non-contact non-contact jersey. I do want just want to see how fast he is. I mean, he looks fast to us, and he did, but he didn't test because he was dealing with the injury during the pre-draft process. He's coming from Sac State, you know. It's not like he's flying around the SEC making plays left and right. Is he is he fast enough to play? in the deep portion of the field on a consistent basis at the NFL level that where they're using him and when they're using him tells me they have some questions as far as his athleticism goes to, to, to play free safety. I mean, that's the old Devin McCourty spot to play yeah. at the second level. I have no question. I have no doubt that he's athletic enough to play around down there. And I, that's why I think we're seeing him down there with the top defense. I think the sub package point is a really good one. Cause yeah, when they are starting two minute drills or they're in dime and you have one, sometimes two linebackers, which is more than we've seen from them in past years with those kind of personnel groupings. Um, then your competition is Mac Wilson. It's not Juan Bentley, who was your last rookie linebacker to start week one, big hulking Juan Bentley at 255 pounds. So late down work, I think makes a lot of sense. There's still a lot of trust there. I think because, you know, you're dealing with a lot in those situations. Those are high leverage situations you know, whereas if you, you know, slip a block or miss a gap on first and 10, like, okay, second and two is generally your worst case scenario. You screw up on third and six or in the high red zone, like that's a score or another first down. You need a lot of trust there. But trust is the word of training camp. And uh, Marte Mapo's earned it because he's on he's on first team. Uh, Ashley dropped in a question, pivoting to offense, asked about Mike Unwenu. 
who we have not seen at all, remains on the physically unable to perform list of recovery from offseason ankle surgery. She wants to know, who do you see as his replacement at right guard? Bill Murray was the answer somehow. Uh, converted defensive lineman from a year ago, undrafted rookie in 2020 at a William & Mary. And now we've seen a little bit more Cody Russi, who you just talked about, Antonio Moppy, who's a fifth-round rookie. And I don't want to spend a lot of time on Murray or, or Russ here because, again, we're talking rookies. Moppy is interesting to me in that he was both a highly experienced player at UCLA and someone like Murray new to the position. So there's physical tools there as a 330-pound guy still learning that side of the ball. But whether it's Moppy or Jake Anders or City Sow, what interests you most about that line and what we've seen from those three guys? I like what I've seen from Moffy. It, 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 he has not stood out to me in a negative way. And he's mm-hmm. played a lot of reps with the top offensive line. You know, I'm sure if we were to watch it closely and we had the benefit of replay in the All-22, we'd see reps of, of Moffy going against Christian Barmore and it wouldn't look good. But generally speaking, because of that body type, that 355-ish pounds, I mean, this guy was 400 pounds recently at UCLA. Like, he is a <laughs> he is a large human. Um but bec- between that and the vast experience, you mentioned his experience playing at UCLA, the scheme that he played within was very diverse when it comes to the run game, which is not common at the college level. But they ran power. They ran gap scheme plays. They ran zone plays uh, under Chip Kelly. Chip Kelly bringing a, you know, a, a pro style, essentially, to that Bruins offense there. So I think those things really set up nicely for him you know, to, to replace another big body in Micah Wenu if they need that to happen. So I've liked Mafi so far. I'm a little surprised that Russie has gotten the time that he's gotten at guard. Uh, but that could be in part because Jake Andrews, who was the first offensive lineman they took in this year's draft, has been in and out of the lineup, dealing with a little bit of an injury. And it's clear to me they want City So to be a tackle. You know, I haven't really seen him play at all at guard in, in team periods. Uh, you can tell me if I'm I'm wrong on that one, but it looks like they they've got him at right tackle, and they want to see if that can work. It, it, he's been he's been very consistently with, uh, you know, unlike Keon White or Christian Gonzalez or Mapu, like it doesn't look like City So is going to be a real game time option for them at tackle anytime soon. No, I don't think so. And the tackle situation is so convoluted, right? Because you're dealing with Calvin Anderson, who you want to talk about milk cartons and being a witness protection. The guy has some sort of illness still from the end of minicamp, you know, until now that has kept him off the football field. So he's out. Trent Brown is a little nicked up. So you're running thin at that position. Sometimes it's just we need someone who knows how to play tackle. Though we knew they intended to play him there from what Macro said shortly after the draft. Uh, he's got the requisite, you know, size and tools. Just hasn't done it since 2018, which was why I was very low on that proposition. Um, the thing about Mafi too, he had a very, very good one-on-one rep the other day where the guy just anchors and sits, and you feel the 330 pounds, and you just can't move him. So that works in his favor. The other part is he was working with the top offensive lines and the 11 on 11 scout team periods where for the folks at home, it's one of the earliest parts of every practice. You kind of walk through the plays you're going to run later at full speed, starting offense and second teamers versus the backups, you know, on offense and defense. So he was with that group and Jake Andrews wasn't. And there's a lot of mixing and matching that goes on after when the bullets start flying in those real 11 on 11 periods that we chart and write about and talk about. But the fact that they looked and said, okay, you can handle this volume of play is probably from his experience under Chip Kelly, noted Bill Belichick confidant, said something to me then. His playing time has said something to me since. And you look at body type and his versatility, like he just fits as the old lineman. If Dante Skarnecchia was still here, you'd be like, yeah, he'll get developed, he'll play, he'll be a starter. 
I think what's interesting about all these guys that they drafted up front between Mafi, Andrews, and City So, they all came from systems that should allow them to develop relatively quickly in a downhill gap style of running attack because Jake Andrews was coached by Colt Popovich mm-hmm. at Troy last year. They ran a lot of pro style stuff, a lot of pulling guards and duo and inside zone, and, you know, and they did it because they had these, these other alignment that were really big, I guess. Jake Andrews wasn't a monster himself, but is a really strong guy is like a, just a behemoth in the weight room from what I understand. And they wanted to be a zone team, but they said, you know, look, we've got Cole. He knows how to coach this stuff up. We've got guys like Jake that can really move people. Let's do it that way. Same thing with City. So they had him play a guard in part because they just wanted to be a downhill inside zone heavy team in part based on where they played. You know, you're at Eastern Michigan and you got to play in the slop like you're not going to be a high flying, you know, outside zone, you know, Kyle Shanahan style running game in all likelihood. So all three of these guys in terms of what they're seeing schematically and the um, the attitudes requisite to block in the kind of scheme that we're expecting to see this year, they should all be able to catch on relatively quickly. I just want to apologize to any Eastern Michigan alums in the comments for having to deal with it. You live in the slop out there. That's that was that was a little uncalled for. Listen, a little they, listen, they know it, Andrew, and they're proud of that fact. They beat their chest. I'm sure you have to. You have to if you live up there because if you don't embrace it, yeah, life would be pretty miserable. Yeah. All right. We're uh, embracing change here in the podcast because, you know, the next player we're going to talk about, Chad Ryland, taking in the fourth round kicker. He was seven for seven yesterday as far as I could see, though. It's always in like I check with Reese. You do the same thing. We're always like, I don't know, six or seven. Um, we don't have to spend much time here to get to the receivers. You have any more thoughts on Chad Ryland? We'll probably see a lot of him tonight in the stadium, right? Yeah, I would think so. Okay. Uh, that's that's probably where the most productive work will come. I just what stands out to me is the man just very easily is just knocking down forty-five yard field goals. Like if you watch the actual act of of him kicking the football, there's not a lot of effort exerted. So that's been impressive to me. He's going to have to, I would think, you tell me if you agree, he's got to lose this job not to be the guy, right? I mean, he's the highest drafted special teamer that they've had yeah. under Bill Belichick, even higher than Steven Guskowski. Yeah, and that's, you know, it's a separate discussion. I want to leave it alone. But the idea of the quarterback competition, which we have not seen any sign of, misses the fact that all Mac has to do to win the job is be better than Bailey Zappi. And so we all write about the starter, Mac Jones. That's the same thing here. Like Nick Falk came up short on a 45 yarder the other day. Maybe there was some sort of malfunction with the snap or the hold or something got screwed up. We can't tell from that distance and at that angle, but that's a guy who came up short on a 44 yarder late last year. When it gets cold, sometimes the precipitation, it gets harder to kick and you'd rather just lean into not only the young guy you've made a significant investment in, but a guy who just has much better raw leg strength as you'd expect for a guy in his early twenties kicking at big schools versus a guy at the back end 18th hole of his career. Nothing like a Rorwasserian experience oh, for no. us watching him though. Right. I mean, Rorwasser in, was just, in every sense. Thank God. Yes. Thankfully. I mean, those, those signs, those ads that they post behind the goalposts on the far end of the field, we're getting an absolute workout. A when Justin Rorwasser was here and a was 20 yards left. 20 yards right of the right upright. That was that was something else, that training yeah. camp. 
Yeah, one of the many things that stood out about the calendar year 2020. Uh, moving on, Andrew in the comments is asking, could the Patriots keep six receivers? Uh, my gut instinct is to do the, oh, well, actually the roster always changes after they cut down to 53 <laughs> versus the week one, which is not helpful to anyone. So we're going to skip that and just get straight to the receivers because you've got a firm top four um, with the veterans. Obviously, Juju Smith-Schuster, Devontae Parker, Kendrick Bourne, Tyquan Thornton missing the last two days. Uh, as I understand it, still recovering from the injury he dealt with in the spring has not been 100%, which would explain him not catching a pass from Mac Jones yet in training camp. Then you get Demario Douglas, Kayshawn Booty, Trey Nixon saying hello the last couple of days. I don't know about six receivers when it counts week one, but I think it has to be on the table at least to start the season because Demario Douglas, as far as I can see, is going to make the team. And now I'm just asking you know, not locking him into a roster spot. They haven't played a preseason game. But, like, where would he rank if Tyquan Thornton still trends downward here and Kendrick Bourne's kind of do a Jekyll and Hyde thing? I'm going to do what um, our our great friend, Trini Casey, is, is consistently um, doing to me on early edition, which is start a question with how concerned are you? How, how concerned are you, Andrew, <laughs> about Tyquan Thornton right now? Because I... I believe, and I am generally speaking, I am I am the wet blanket when it comes to the concern talk and the panic button talk. And I'm not saying smash it right this second. But for Tyquan Thornton to be missing time after missing time last year, he's a fast guy with apparently some soft tissue things to deal with. I was told the moment after he was drafted that Tyquan Thornton in the second round was an even even bigger reach than Cole Strange in the first round. I'm I'm concerned. Uh, if I'm the Patriots and I was thinking that this guy was going to bring a consistent speed element to my offense and and be a real factor for us and helping open things up for others, I'm not sure what we've seen this summer or spring for that matter, which he missed most of, that would give me any real great feelings about the fact that I could depend on that. He he really has not been a dependable player for them. So while I'm not giving up on him by any stretch, I think in part because you kind of have to keep him around just because he does give you that speed thing that not yeah. many others do. I'm just not all that confident that he's going to be a very good player for them anytime soon. I said it this week with uh, more friends of ours, so and Beetle. It's not Taekwon's fault. They took him in the second round, okay? But that's the expectation. That's the deal. You need to be an impact player when you make that kind of money and the team's made that kind of investment and you have this type of opportunity. They don't have another field stretcher. Like the top three veterans ahead of him are all yards after catch or contested catch guys. You could talk about Demario Douglas. We will in a second. Yeah, I'm concerned. But the thing is, Ted Johnson and I very carefully shoveled a lot of dirt on him and then I pulled a little bit off earlier this week. So I'm reticent to do that again. I wanted to be healthy. I want to see the best version of Tyquan Thornton. I feel like I've been lower than consensus, which was, one of these, oh, it's a draft reach, everyone's down, and then you talk yourself into it. And I've just kind of stayed steady because that's just what I see in the player, or saw in the player looking at his college tape. But it's not only you have 4-2 speed. It's your 6-2-6-3. You should be able to succeed in all areas of the field, even if you're better stretching the field. If you're going to start, you need to be impact in the red zone. And he played more snaps than Kendrick Bourne did last year. And I think we all know who the better receiver was, uh, even in Kendrick Bourne's worst season of his career. So, yeah, very concerned. But a lot of that concern is alleviated. If you can count on my guy, as Mac Jones said, pop shot a baby, five foot eight, 192 pounds, hit you in the mouth, smile to the media afterward, not a problem. Um, 
what I, I think his ceiling is wide receiver four at this point. If we're t- talking week one, again, no one's fitting him for a red jacket, but it looks like the guy's going to make the team because they keep putting him in spots and he keeps making plays. Yeah, I agree. I mean, he's been who's been more fun to watch than than Pop Douglas this summer. I, the defensive not, backs trying to keep up with him in one on one stumbling, <laughs> like you have all that old timey music in the background. Da, 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 da. Oh, 100 percent. We, we we're watching that play out in real time. And and I will say this, and this is somebody who who liked the pick when it was made. Um, I did a podcast back in the spring. He said, OK, th- you know, I know there's a lot of talk about Kayshawn Booty and he's come on strong lately, yeah. I would say. But the guy that I thought always had the best chance of making the team because of the physical skill set that he that he brings to the table, which I think is impressive, even though he's 5'8", Andrew, I'm not a heightist is pop Douglas. And so you're probably right as of right now, wide receiver four, but he is, he's a real, he's a true slot. He's that traditional Patriot slot. And so if he's the best option there, they shouldn't hesitate in my opinion. They're not so talented at at wide receiver that they should be keeping talented receivers off the field. So I'm curious, here's, here's what I want to see from pop Douglas is, is make good on the raging inferno. That is the, the Mario Douglas hype train right now. Good, I think that thing has just today. been set. That, that thing was set ablaze like weeks ago, and it's just yeah. rolling down the tracks uh, like a ball of fire. But make good on that when it really is full contact football, because that's that's the one caveat I would give to all the the Pop Douglas hype that we've seen. He has made some plays in eleven on elevens in these fully padded practices, but not many, and not many down the field really at all. And so, you know, when he really truly shines is seven on seven, one-on-ones, these one-on-one tackling drills where he's got some space and he can really make the most of that skill set that he has, you know, be out there with Mac Jones consistently in 11 on 11s, which again, he's done some of that, but be a, be a legitimate option and be that guy, you know, when Mac Jones has to check it down instead of Ramondre Stevenson getting, you know, five targets of practice, you know, take three of those. And do something with it after the catch. That's that's what I think is is next for him. He's so good in space. I'd love to see him, whether it's these preseason games or in some of these padded practices that are coming up here, uh, just do a little bit more in those 11-on-11 situations. You know what he does well, Phil? He, uh, he, he's he got some wiggle, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, first three yards within the line of scrimmage, I need to get open. Of anyone in this roster, who am I counting on to do that? It's probably him. And there's a lot more to receiver than that. But as it's been boiled down from Bill Belichick telling Bill O'Brien, get open, catch the ball. That's how receivers need to do it. That's as that clip was captured in 2009. And it's true here in 2023. Tomorrow Douglas can get open, still needs to develop. Troy Brown throwing him in. I don't think he said trash bin, but the same bucket bin category with all the other rookies here today. Uh, when we t- spoke to the assistant coaches. So they're trying to douse the, the inferno train, whatever you just built up there, that is absolutely rolling. Ted Johnson would said again earlier this week, he's, he's closer to the conductor than the caboose on this thing. And uh, that surprised me. So I don't want to spend too much more time, but he's impressive. And I think it's interesting. We're already talking about a role here, which is both a commentary on his production, but where he fits within the larger receiving core. You mentioned Kayshawn Booty. He's had some of the most impressive catches the last two, two, three, two, three days in training camp, in my opinion, still not the volume of catches, but I'll give you three rookies. You got to pick one. Booty, Isaiah Bolden, seventh round corner slash return man 
for punter Bryce Berenger, who has been booming the hell out of the ball. And I don't have the stopwatch. I'm not keeping time on my phone like Alex Barth apparently is. It's upsetting Michael Hurley because he's not, quote, respecting the game, as I told Alex <laughs> to his face on his podcast. But the folks who were doing that and we're all watching just go, okay, just like Chad Ryland, he has to lose this job as this kid with all that leg strength at a position they really need some help. So is it Bolden? Is it Berenger? Or are we going Kayshawn Booty? The three Bs here. The most interesting one to me is Booty. Okay. Is there any chance that this eventually turns into at receiver, which I think would just absolutely stun people that the Patriots who have had such a hard time finding receivers have maybe actually found a couple rookies, but is this going to turn into a situation that they've had a corner some years where they end up releasing a player who's actually pretty good who gets claimed on waivers. It felt like it happened every year for five or six years when you get down to the final cuts and the Patriots hope that they can slip a guy through to the practice squad. And he ends up, you know, Kenny Moore is the greatest example of this and he ends up going somewhere else and having a real role. I you thought know, you were going to go veteran there. Well, maybe it's a veteran who ends up losing a gig because, you know, these guys are coming on strong. But I, I wouldn't say Booty's there yet. No. But he is trending in the right direction. I mean, things started really slow for him in the spring. Um, and it was, you know, it was very clear. He's getting some real hard coaching from Bill O'Brien. Uh, we can't quote what was said in those practices. We're getting some hard coaching. I think it's safe to say. And then in the last couple of practices, we're seeing him out there with, with Mac Jones. And he's making really difficult catches. The body control is what stands out. To me, whereas the quickness with Pop Douglas is the first thing you notice, it's booty, you know, leaping, twisting, feet down near the sidelines. It's it's really impressive, the targets that he's had. So I'd like to see him grow. And if these two guys are both guys that are lighting it up in preseason, Andrew, it's going to be hard to hide them from other teams that are looking for receiver help come waiver claim time. Yeah, I'm I'm not there quite yet, um, but there's a body control thing with him that you don't see I think with the rest of the guys on the roster like an acrobatic way where you know he, he's not going to test and didn't test as well as most of the receivers in his draft class but there's just a natural ease and when he's playing a little bit faster which I think we've seen this week like the pads come on maybe things get slower offensively not the case for him I think he's getting it the offense the timing the chemistry the work everything that goes into playing professional football because the natural talent's there the ease of it everyone saw it that freshman year at LSU everything that happened after that of course is why he fell down to the sixth round but it's encouraging to see signs just days after I'm writing. There's nothing he's done to show that he'll earn a roster spot so far in training camp. But that's why we make all the qualifiers of it's early. There's no preseason games yet. They haven't had any padded practices because his stock watches you can find on NBC Sports Boston. I don't know if he made it, but he's certainly on the way up. No question. I, you know, I, I think he is. And um, the both of these guys, Douglas and Booty, are, are going to push Tyquan Thornton to – get back on the field. Not that they are the kind of receiver that Thornton is or that they're going to take his job or his role. But again, most important ability is availability. And, and Tyquan Thornton's not on the field right now. His, his stock to me is, is trending in the wrong direction. I, I could see DeMario Douglas taking his role. I mean, he's got the long speed. He's not there yet. And Tyquan Thornton has more built up goodwill here, but uh, you know, what starts to come around late August, early September it's not COVID again. It's that Foxborough flu. So if he's dinged up and they just say, this is not going to work because you still haven't caught a pass from Mac Jones and team drills and it's mid-August. I'm just throwing it out there. Um, it could very well be the case. I, I'm still waiting to see his, his pop because he did run a 4-4. Yeah. And he's super explosive. But is he, can he be that 
T.Y. Hilton kind of slot where he's a real vertical threat because we really, you know, other than in one-on-ones where he made a ridiculous climb the ladder, you know, basically mossed Marcus Jones little yeah. on little there. You know, it's like watching two point guards go for a jump ball. <laughs> um, outside of that, we just ha- we haven't seen him to a ton down the field. So is he is he going to be Troy Brown or is he going to be T.Y. Hilton? Like, you know, obviously those are big names, but you know what I mean? That style of I was going to say Tyler Lockett. So thanks for telling the taking the bullet there for me <laughs> of the uh, overhyped or the train that's about to hit me if I get in the way. I love um, Tyler Lockett. So what uh, what do we not hit that interests you here? I think we've hit some questions. If anyone has more questions, we're going to wrap up here soon. First live episode of the Pat's Interference Podcast. Gone great so far. I appreciate everyone going back and forth, either with themselves or us in the comments. But the rookie class, like, let me put it to you this way. Was I right to start this and go, one of the biggest stories out of camp is how universally well these guys are playing. This is huge. This could be their best draft class. And I, are we getting close to 2010 territory? Obviously, it's a long time away. A couple of Patriots Hall of Famers. But the talent front to back as much as you can within 10 days of training camp has, has shown itself. This now is, is shaping up to be another positive rookie class, right? Mm-hmm. Of, of what I would say are a few in a row here, uh, you know, going back to 2021, you know, you looked at that and you said, we've got a starting quarterback, a potential star defensive tackle and a, and a potential star running back, you know, all in the same class. Like that was a, that's a good draft class right there and you know even if you don't think mac jones is is a future face of the franchise guy he clearly is somebody on a rookie contract that you should be able to win a bunch of games with um and then 2021 or sorry 2022 like i think the jury is still very much out like it's interesting i think i had to do a mia culpa podcast in the middle of last season when jack jones was picking off aaron Rodgers and returning it for touchdowns and marcus jones was returning punts for touchdowns and cole strange was starting and playing every snap and wasn't you know wasn't completely falling on his face and it had looked like they they had gotten a bunch of pieces and now i think the jury is still very much out on on last year's rookie class i think we're gonna have a hung jury and uh you know it's crazy and you know what we should hit on this because we had comments today from coaches about the jack jones situation uh in practice yesterday and this is Another Jack Jones situation. Uh, I think that draft class will hinge largely on him. If he's a multi-year starter at corner, premium position, mid-round pick, tons of value, lots of talent. You were able to get his head on straight as much as you can because he saw the field. If that happens, that draft, that draft class is probably pretty good. Uh, we heard from Drop Mayo, Mike Pellegrino today who said, basically, I don't want to talk about it. Jack Jones leaves practice for 20 minutes. Not sure if he's kicked out or just was too steamed and left and then came back and did nothing. Um, what do you make of all that? Have you heard anything new? I have not really heard anything new. It's been pretty um, mum on that front. But I would just say from my experience, if you get kicked out of practice, you ain't coming back. Yeah. And I would also say the initial reactions, for whatever reason, you know, sometimes you kind of luck out when you when you got the old binoculars on at training camp and you <laughs> happen upon something kind of interesting. I just kind of happened upon Jack Jones sort of storming around. I did notice that he had a conversation with Mike Pellegrino on the sidelines. He was kind of pacing on the sidelines. They had an exchange there. It didn't look explosive in any way, shape, or form. But then I happened upon Sean Wade and Jack Jones having an interaction. Sean Wade was kind of pulling on the back of of Jack Jones's shoulder pads and laughing as Jones was walking towards the facility. As if to say, and I couldn't hear anything they were saying, but it was it looked like a guy trying to keep his teammate with the rest of the team and saying something along the lines of, come on, man, you know, you, what are you doing? You're not yeah. actually going to walk off the practice field. 
Jones shrugs him off. He continues on his way. Jabril Peppers notices what's going on. He's got his arm around Jack Jones. Doesn't really seem to try to pull him back, but they talk for an extended period of time as Jones continues into the facility. Then he comes back and does nothing. If he got kicked out, I really don't think he'd be back. I, I It looked like a guy who had overheated emotionally and told himself, I need to get away from here. I, that's how upset I am. And to me, Andrew, you know, big picture, when you look at the breadth of his career, even if he had had an exemplary spring outside of the Logan Airport incident and now training camp, you know, he's 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 in the facility early. He's he's being a great student. He's out at practice. He's getting all the, you know, the treatment that he needs behind the scenes, training room, all that. He's checking all those boxes. When you add an incident like this one to everything else that he's currently dealing with and has dealt with in the past, you've got a pretty robust picture of a guy that you cannot depend on. And I wonder how much longer they're going to try to depend on him. To your point, he's so talented that he could be the pivot point in a draft class being an, being a good draft class or not. I, I do think he's that talented. I think he could be the next J.C. Jackson. Starting corner for you, gets his hands on the football, turns it over quite a bit. And that's worth standing by your guy for, I guess. But there has to be a line somewhere. And I wonder if we're getting closer and closer to that. Well, and you know what? The Patriots did this to themselves. Like good friend of the podcast, Jeff Howe, has spoken about other teams, just had him off the draft board. And it was all character concerns. He's old, he's light. And that's not, we have a seventh round grade on him. That's even if he goes undrafted, we're not signing him. And that the Patriots obviously disagreed with. But when you look at the talent around him, the thing that stuck out to me, he leaves, comes back, whatever happened. And the way you described it was great. Uh, details that I missed through my own binoculars, which really need an upgrade from 2018. Um, is Amir Speeds then on the field. Isaiah Bolden's on the field. We didn't talk about him. Shouts to him. He has interceptions, two pass breakups. He's been better as of late. But you don't want a seventh-round rookie out there as maybe your third perimeter corner because Marcus Jones is playing out there. That's fine. He's five foot eight. okay? Teams are going to pick on Marcus Jones outside. Inside, I think he'll be fine. And so this is where they put themselves. They did this to themselves with the roster construction around him, continuing to stand by him, the suspension late last season any number of different things. And so he doesn't have leverage, obviously, but I think in most instances, most teams would say, we're tired of this. You're a fourth round pick. We'll find somebody else. And yet you need him because everyone else is under pressure along with him for very different reasons, not legal ones, but from Belichick to Mac, other parts of the staff in the front office, everyone needs to get a good nine, 10 win season out of this football team. And the best chance to do that is with Jack Jones, even if he's leaving practice, even if he's facing several felony gun charges for his arrest in June and was suspended at the end of last year and is someone you just can't rely on because that's the reality that they built around themselves. And we'll see what happens tonight. I don't know if he's going to speak. He was supposed to speak to, uh, yesterday to us, <laughs> and this happened. We were finally going to hear from him for the first time since that arrest, and uh, it just didn't happen. So... The other, I mean, the other thing that just it just makes you wonder how much longer they, they'll play this out is you just you would like somebody who, however it happened, happened to find himself in possession of two loaded guns at an airport to just have a little bit more control over his emotions is, is how I would put it. You know, you're running, you're you're there's risk involved here for for the new england patriots for bill belichick and there has to be at some point 
you have to weigh that risk against the reward of him being a starting corner who's going to get, you know, who's going to pick off three or four passes a year for you for the next however long on his rookie contract. And I'm honestly, I'm a little surprised that they've been willing to continue to roll the dice here because I, it feels like that's what's happening the, the longer he's with the team. Yeah, I agree. And he's not like most second year players. He's 25. This is, this is a, there's a fully grown man and had a difficult upbringing. I understand all of that and everything that's gone into it, but uh, all right, let's end on that note. Uh, what are you looking forward to this weekend? It could be something you want to pitch on the site, on TV, the podcast, anything, or next week in training camp. Like, let's let's go out of the rookie realm here. Just anything Phil wants to talk about. You've won around the horn. Take a couple minutes. I want Trent Brown to play football. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I would like. Uh, and, and if he's dealing with an injury, he's dealing with an injury. And listen, by all means, he's important enough to their team that if he's dealing with anything, then yeah, take take this time away and, and make sure it's right before you get back. But what I'm watching on a daily basis out there is, is an offensive line, first and second unit, that is having a really hard time keeping defenders at bay. And I think on the one hand, maybe it's giving us a little bit of a false sense of what's actually happening on the field offensively. Mm-hmm. And I just ha- like to have a better, a clearer picture of, of who they are, what they can be. Um, because there's, there's a lot of plays where you're looking at it and you're saying, was that a sack? Could he have sacked him? And yeah, yeah probably could have. Wow. And, and it's not just the plays where, you know, the quarterbacks, whether it's Zappy or Jones are sitting back in the pocket, patting the football for 10 seconds. You know, there, there are some plays where it's immediate. And I do think, you know, after having spoken to Dante Skarnecchia this week for the next Pats podcast. So there's your shameless plug. There it is. Go, go, go listen to that if you haven't already. But there's there's value in these reps. There's values in the, there's value in these snaps. And of course, you know, if Dante coming from the era that he's coming from, he's always going to say that he's always going to want football players to play football. While while also acknowledging, you know, that that health is of the utmost importance, especially for somebody like Trent, who's had his issues in the past. There, um, I just for them to be at their best, he clearly needs to be out there. He needs to be on the same page with whoever's going to be playing alongside him. And he needs to be helped in, in getting this communication down and what they're doing offensively on a, on a snap-to-snap basis. And none of that stuff goes in the right direction when he's on the lower field. So that, to me, is what I would like to see. Because, quite frankly, Andrew, I have seen enough of Riley Reef. <laughs> I have seen enough of Carter McDermott playing tackle. And that doesn't mean we're not going to see those guys. Yeah. I think I'd just like to see one at a time as opposed to both out there at the two most important, arguably offensive line spots on this team simultaneously. So Trent, if you're out there, if you're listening and you can get on the field, it'd be, it'd be fun to see you out there, big man. We miss you, buddy. It's a good quote. We love talking to him, love watching him play yep. football. We're just uh, not getting a lot of either the last uh, couple of weeks. All right. He is Phil Perry at NBC sports, Boston. Listen to him, watch to him, read him. Uh, this episode of the Pats interference podcast brought to you by FanDuel, the exclusive wagering partner of the CLNS media network. I just want to see real football because I am so sick and tired of wrapping myself up uh, in a straitjacket to go into the details of Bill O'Brien's offense and the <clears throat> RPOs <clears throat> that we've been seeing and all these different things. Put it on the tape in the preseason. Let's dissect it. And then we can really share everything we've seen at training camp because that was the thing we were supposed to be most excited about. And though you're absolutely spot on about the offensive tackle situation, I think some of the uh, modern schematics he's going to introduce are going to help offset that. But we won't know how that looks, whether he succeeds or doesn't, until they play real football, which starts third real football, 
uh, Thursday with the preseason game. Thanks for coming on, man. We had you for a while. I'm glad we'd, uh, we, don't, we don't pay you by the hour. Hey, thanks for having me, buddy. Always fun to talk some ball with my guy. Happy to do it anytime. And, we, and I think, hopefully, uh, we made history with not just the first live broadcast, but the first successful live broadcast. I think this is the internet-wise. Um, we we kind of dominated this thing. No struggles whatsoever. So knock on wood, you're able to, to knock this out again because this was fun. Yeah, a little shaky to start. We were a little worried about the connection for uh, the folks at home who checked out because we've already said goodbye. But um, I will see you in a couple hours. More coverage to come. Training camp rolls on. It's been a great start for no one better than the rookies. Thank you, sir. Thank you.